second section of the message. And we'll get into Psalm 103. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. Lord, we ask as we, uh, as we begin this text, Lord, I pray that your spirit would illuminate its meaning. Lord, that we would rightly understand what is said here. Father, I pray that you would help us to, um, to experience and to appreciate David's heart behind this psalm. Lord, we pray that you would soften our hearts, Lord, and help us uh, to see your hand uh, moving in our life um, and that we would result in praising you, that we would bless your name with all our soul. We love you, Father. We praise you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in Psalm 103, <clears throat> many people believe that David was going through something. We don't exactly know what. Uh, we believe that Psalm 102 was the psalm that David wrote in the midst of whatever he was going through, and then Psalm 103 was after the fact. And we're not going to go through Psalm 102, but just to give us some insight, he begins Psalm 102 with, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. And, and from that verse, kind of Psalm 102 unpacks that his enemies are surrounding him, that people are speaking poorly about him, that um, he basically is in a bind and he is calling out for God to deliver him from this bind. And Psalm 103 is after God's delivered him and he praises him. He just wants to bless his name. And verse 1 of Psalm 103 reads, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is with me. Bless his holy name. He's... He begins, bless or praise the name of God, that we would worship him, that we would attribute to him worth, that we would recognize him for who he is. And this passion of his, it's like David is speaking to himself. He's priming his pump to worship. And I don't know, you guys probably don't uh, prepare as much as I do for Sundays, but what's, even teaching this, not in the prep time, but you know, when I go to bed Sunday night, probably because I'm nervous and I have to get up and face all of you and teach the word. It's like, Lord, I just begin like crying out to him. Lord, like prepare me to be used by you. Prepare me to learn. And I can't tell you how many times I'm up here and I'm teaching and like a light bulb goes on. It's like, wow, thank you, Lord. Like I'm learning as I'm teaching. And, and it's just that David here, it's like he's saying, Lord, prepare me to worship you. All that is within me, I want from my toes all the way to my fingertips raised up, I want to bless your name. And when I was in Israel down at the Wailing Wall, it was during a celebration. And it was like I was a little nervous because there's, there's like a, not a checkpoint going to the Wailing Wall. You know, where we, there's great pictures where you see the Jews like at the wall doing this number, wailing at the wall. And, and so there's like a little, like uh, a little thing that has a bunch of the little kippahs, the little hats that's the Yiddish, but they call them kippahs there. And, uh, and so it's like, are we allowed to go here? And they're like, yeah, you got to go here, but you just got to put on a little kippah. So I put on my little kippah, and I walk down there, and I'm like, I got to pray. So we're like praying at the wall. And you see all these guys like rocking and rocking and rocking. And then after we come back, and I'm, I'm looking at my friend Chris, and I said, hey, I, I can't remember, but I think that the rocking is symbolic of something. And I'm like, it's killing me. It's something so simple. I just can't remember quite what it was. And so then that night we went back, um, and it was the Sabbath. And so it was, a, I mean, it was packed down there. I'm like, I'm not going down there. There's like IDF soldiers, the Israeli Defense Force soldiers, like 
dancing, tossing kids up in the air, praying. It would look like a blast. I'm like, man, I just don't have that sort of rhythm to like, or Hebrew to start singing. But it was like just this environment of like, man, it looks so much fun. And my friend's like, I'm going in. I'm like, well, if you go, I'll go, you know. So I go down there, and we're like squeezed in there. And all like these guys are like rocking and talking and saying stuff. And and I'm, he looks at this one. We found like a younger, like probably a teenager. And, and when he was done rocking, he asked me, he's like, what, what is this like rocking? Is it symbolic of something? He says, no, it's not symbolic of anything. I'm like thinking, man, I know it is. I'm like, but I don't want to be the guy telling the Jewish guy that he doesn't know what he's doing sort of thing. He's like, no, all I'm doing is, is it's just my whole body, I want to be in the prayer. I'm like, oh, it is symbolic. It symbolizes that your whole body is in it. And so these pictures of these guys like rocking at the wall, it's like I picture David saying like my whole soul, my whole body. And every now and again, I am so not a music guy. I... I, I'm not a good singer. I, I miss two important things, rhythm and tone. Like, I don't have either one of those things. I cannot clap my hands to the beat. If everybody's clapping, I'm the guy on the off beat. And if people start doing fancy clapping where there's, like, two clapping, it just throws me for a loop. And when I go to, like, Spanish churches, they have more rhythm than I know what to do with. And I'm just like, and, like, I'm like, I'll go with it. But there are those moments when I get caught up and that I'm singing and it's become worshipful to like to where it's like, wow, to where I don't care about the person next to me. And I start making my joyful racket. So I feel so bad sometimes if I'm up here and Rick's like right here that he's just getting bombarded. I don't know how he can manage to stay. He, he's, yeah, the speaker's louder than me. But these moments where you're just caught up in, in worship. And David wants that. He says, Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is with me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. And so he says, as I want to start blessing the Lord, praising the Lord with my whole soul, David, he's talking to himself. Don't forget all that God has done for you. You reflect, remember. Um, There was an evangelist. I read it somewhere. It was not in my notes. It just kind of came to me this morning. Um, And he was one of the great evangelists during the Great Awakening early in the the United States history. And, And they said, well, how are you so effective going into these places and talking to, like, sinners with such zeal and passion and relating to them and he said you know what every saturday night before i go out the next day i spend an hour or two just reflecting on my life and where i came from and then i'm reminded at how bad i was and how sinful i i am so that i'm not talking down to them and my heart begins to break for them because i've remembered where i was and david says i want don't forget his benefits And he says, verse 3, who pardons all. I I have circled all. It doesn't say some, partial. Who pardons all your iniquities. Iniquities is a theme throughout this psalm. We're going to see it, iniquity, sin. And that God pardons their iniquities. We don't use pardon that often, you know, like, or pardon me means, oh, excuse me, I bumped into you. Please don't hold it against me. Disculpe or con 
permiso in Spanish. I'm working. I've, I've got it coming together. So excuse me. Please don't get mad at me because I accidentally did this to you. We see it when a prisoner is pardoned by a governor. That means he's been proven guilty. And the governor says, you know what? He's no longer going to be held guilty for that crime. He's pardoned. And so David says, I can't remember, David, that God has pardoned all of my iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who here has ever been sick in their life? Everybody has been sick in their life. All of us have been healed of any sort of sickness that we've had. or We may still be struggling with certain sicknesses. But everybody has had at least one ailment that they've recovered from. All of our sicknesses, God has healed us from. Last night, Grace, well, this it started about two weeks ago where Grace, she would complain about her ear was hurting. And I'm like, well, we should make a doctor's appointment. Anna says, well, do you realize when she says it? I'm like, mm-mm. She's like, well, whenever we tell her to clean up her room or to pick up this, suddenly her ear hurts. And I'm like, okay, maybe, you know. Well, then this week, um, she woke up crying, and, and she's like, my ear hurts so bad. I'm like, okay, well, maybe we'll, get a doc- we'll go to the doctor. And so she goes to the doctor. And then it's not an infection, but it's something in her middle ear is, is messed up. And the doctor gave her some, like, master blaster spray that she can stick in her nose, and, in a, and she doesn't like it. And so last night, before she's going to bed, and I'm praying for her, I say, oh, Lord, could you, would you heal Grace's ear? And she, like, opens her eyes. Dad, pray that he could do it without the medicine. <laughs> and I said, I, I, I no, no, Grace, we're going to pray and we're going to do the medicine. And she looks at me, she's like, Dad, God can heal my ear without the medicine. And I'm like, well, absolutely he can, but we're going to use the medicine. Because I you know, back in, in James 15, 5, verse 16, there's, I think the translation of the English is off. In the Greek, it says, you know, he has illness. Go to the, call the elders and have them pray for you. In our text, it says, anointing you with oil. In the Greek, it literally is having been anointed by oil. And when you look at the story of the Good Samaritan, you know, this guy's beat up. The religious guys pass by him. And then finally, the Samaritan, the people that everybody hated, they pick him up. They take him to the end. They anoint him in oil. It was their medicine. And so it's like, Grace, you know what? We believe that God has given us this until he could heal with you, but God has also given us wisdom. And if the doctor says to take the spray, we got to take the spray. And when your ear is healed, God healed you. And sometimes our perception is off because we think, well, I'm sick and I die. Why didn't God heal me? Did I not have enough faith? It's because we're looking through our fleshly life. There was a few Easter's ago. If you were here, you'll remember the video I showed. It was cardboard testimonies. Um, if you YouTube cardboard testimonies or Google it, you'll probably find the video. And these people come up with cardboard, you know, like the guys on the side of the road asking for money. They come up and cardboard will say, totally addicted to heroin flips it over and says, God healed me from that addiction. And the continence of their faces change. Then this, this lady walks up. She holds up her cardboard and it says, praying for my husband's healing for years. And she flips it and she said, God healed my husband through death. That she understood that when God took him home, 
he was free from the sin, from the sickness, from the, the brokenness of his body. And if you think about it from Scripture, death is a, is a means of God's grace. Back when sin entered the world because Adam and Eve ate the fruit, immediately following that, God tells an angel to guard the tree of life. And he says, don't let him, do, don't let him go near that tree. And can you imagine if God... Let us live eternally in these bodies with sin. When you break your leg and it doesn't heal right and you've got to go through eternity, that's not a good thing. But, but he gives us new bodies that were restored. And David knows this. He heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from a pit. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm pretty sure that everybody has been in a pit. Um. Sometimes you just have to wait longer. When I applied for the sheriff chaplaincy program, and during the interview, I was asking the guy who interviewed me, well, what's your process? And he looked at me and he said, you know what? I, don't t- I won't even look at the application of somebody under 30 because they haven't been knocked down enough in life to like understand what it is to be picked up. But if you live long enough, or if you re- like we all have been or are going to be in a pit David was just in a pit of the whole world coming after him, trying to kill him. And he says that God redeems your life from the pit, that you're in this pit and he picks you up and lifts you out. Who crowns you? David, the king of Israel, who had a crown. He doesn't say he crowns you with gold and diamonds. He says he crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. This word loving kindness is a theme throughout this psalm. It is going to appear four times. And compassion or compassionate, we're going to see four times. I love this word loving kindness. It's, it, it really is a word that comes from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew. I think that because it was a Hebrew word, it was turned into an English word. And in of itself, it defines itself. We know what loving is. Loving is the opposite of like hatred or you know, hurtfulness. And kindness. And so he, just, he says that God crowns people with loving kindness. And we're going to learn more about God's loving kindness in this passage. And compassion. That he knows that his life, everything that he has, all of our lives, God has blessed us with his loving kindness and compassion towards us. Who satisfies your years or your desires, that word can be translated as, with good things. That as he walks with the Lord, that his desires are satisfied. Solomon, David's son, learned a hard lesson and gave us a great book in the Bible. But when I preached through it, it was a little bit difficult for those six months. Ecclesiastes. I love it. But you could probably fly over in about two weeks and get the point. But I kind of lingered, you know. We felt it. And... The idea that your desires, your life, you're not going to experience satisfaction by stuff. Upgrade your house, upgrade your car, increase your piggy bank. Whatever it is, that stuff won't give you satisfaction. But God will as we delight in him. So that your youth is renewed like the eagle. And so it's this picture of the eagle, its strength. And as far as I know, and I think from David's perception... Like, I never really cared for an eagle, so I don't know if they, like, eventually need a cane by the end of their life. But from man's, what we see them in the wild, it's like they are strong and then they die. Like, we just don't see them. 
And so it's like it's renewed like the eagle, this picture of strength. And then in verse 6 through 14, David's going to really focus on God and who God is. And then verses 15 through 18, he's going to look at contrasting man against God. And so in verse 6, he says, The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. So he knows, man, the Lord, he protects us. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. And so what was the story when God revealed himself to Moses? Remember, Moses goes up on the Mount Sinai. God comes to him, writes the commandments to him. As he gives him the commandments, Moses goes down and he finds the people of Israel already having a huge golden calf that they're worshiping in idolatry. Moses is so mad, he takes these commandments that God had written, and he slams them down and shatters them, and he's angry. Then he eventually goes up the hill. God says, okay, Moses, you got some work. We got some, we're going to work with you. Like, you shouldn't get angry like that. I'm going to give you new commandments, but this time you're writing them. So Moses had to write out the second copy. And then he goes down, and the people are dealt with. But the people, this people of Israel, God should have dealt with them harshly. He should have poured out his wrath upon him. But David says, no, God covered loving kindness and compassion on them. We're going to see, as he continues in verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. Mercy is withholding something that is due you. Grace or graciousness is when God gives you blessing that you don't deserve. He says, you know what? They didn't deserve how God dealt with the people of Israel, but he was compassionate and gracious to them. He's slow to anger. That should have caused God anger in his holiness, but he was slow to get angry. And he's abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. And so there's this picture of God's holy anger and indignation towards sin should have been released. And David says, you know what? God is not always going to hold back his wrath that we deserve. When I was in Israel, there was a, there's a hill, Megiddo. It's this huge like mountain that was a fortress. And you overlook the valley. And the valley is, um, I forget the name of the valley, but it's the Armageddon. And it's where basically everything's going to end according to scripture. And they're up there. And they're, they're talking and they're talking and they're really getting into like, well, I remember, I kind of zoned out. Um, but I heard like, oh yeah, like this, the whole valley, just imagine it's going to be filled with blood from the war that's taking place here. And, and so then um, I was kind of getting lost in a thought that was spawned from something he was saying. And they started like talking and they were getting into like the how and what's it going to look like and what's your theology say about Christians and where are we going to be? And all of a sudden at this point, the guy said, well, Pastor Gunnar, do you have any insight? And I'm like, what? what? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, um, and I kind of looked at him and I said, well, well I, regardless of your theology, like all theology says that Christians will be, we're, are going to witness it. It just depends on what seats do we have. You know, are we going to be in the play or are we going to be observing the play? And, I, and where I want us to go is to 2 Peter 3. And this is the thought. Looking at this valley where Scripture clearly identifies as the... 
yeah, well, Second Peter, it's, it's after James, uh, right before First John. And then Second Peter 3, 9. And so I'm sitting there looking at this, overwhelmed by the magnitude. It would be equivalent to being like on the foothills of the Sierra overlooking um, the Central Valley of California. Huge. And they're talking about all of the destruction and God's wrath that is going to come and pour out upon the people. And I said, you know what? The only thought that I have that comes to mind, I don't know, I don't know how it's going to unre- unravel itself. You know, God's going to handle all of that. Like it's not, God didn't leave it to Gunner like, hey, Gunner, you need to enact all of this, so take good notes. I'm like, he didn't tell me that I have to fulfill it. But, what, but I, looking at this picture of this valley and the destruction that's going to come, all I can think about is 2 Peter 3.9. And it says that the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. So you can go back to Psalm 103. And I said, you know what? I don't know what it's going to look like. But all that's coming to me right now is that the only reason it hasn't happened already is because God wants people to turn to him, that he, that he wants them to repent. He wants to give them salvation. He wants to pull them out of a pit. He wants to heal them of their sicknesses. And he's patient with us. And, and as David said there, he's not going to hold it back always. He goes on to say in verse 10, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. This is mercy. He says, David says, I know I'm a sinner. Last week we looked at the great sin that David committed with Bathsheba. He broke at least nine of the Ten Commandments. He just didn't break the Sabbath. You know, he still maintained the Sabbath. David is a man after God's heart, own heart, but he's not without sin. And he says, you know what? I know that my own sin deserves wrath. But he says, he has not dealt with us according to our sins. And right next to that, I wrote in my Bible, because Jesus was dealt according to our sins. The the wrath that was due to us was laid upon Jesus. In two weeks, you know, we're coming close to Christmas. If you go to Costco, you'd think Christmas is already here. Um, but in Isaiah, a couple, to the, you guys can turn there. Hold your place here. We're, in two weeks, uh, on Wednesday night, we're going to be in the chapter 53 in Isaiah. We've been slowly working through this book all year long. And in Isaiah 53, um, if you hit Jeremiah, you've gone too far. Um, in Isaiah 53, this is like the great Christmas passage that we always, you know, Christmas or Easter. Um, <clears throat> And in Isaiah 53, verse 4, speaking of the coming Messiah, we read, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us 
has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. So here it's saying that he who is, out, who is without sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he was without sin, but our sin was placed upon him. And I don't have, I should really, this is like one of my favorite verses. I need to get it memorized because I, I, I don't know the second half of it by memory. And so instead of messing it up, I'd rather read it to you. Um, so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, he, who knew no, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So God, when he passes over, when David starts talking about um, in Psalm 103, that he, um, for he has not dealt with us according to our sins, it doesn't mean that he hasn't dealt with sin. God is holy. Sin needs to be punished. And in order to do this, he sent Jesus as the perfect sacrifice for us. That our punishment was placed upon him. And now all of us, it's what do we do with Jesus? We're going to stand before God. And it's not where'd you go to church? Um, who is your pastor? And what'd you do with Jesus? Do you believe or did you reject? And in believing the righteousness of God is imparted to us. And David continues, like just, just pondering this, what he's been released from. Verse 11 in Psalm 103 says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth. This is like, we can't measure. Our brains can't comprehend how high the heavens are above the earth. We will never get there by spaceship. We'll try and try and try, but it will never ever happen. We will never reach eternity. And so David's trying to get this picture of measurement. And the measurement that he wants us to understand is so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. And so fear, this is starting a new thread. We're going to see this word, I think, three or four times, the idea of fearing God. And in the church today, or the Christian world, we want to talk about the love of God, the love of God, the love of God, which God is love. His loving kindness is unmeasurable to those who fear him. Fearing God is the baseline for how we come to God. You know, this Friday I spoke at Kiwanis. I was asked to speak about my Navy SEAL background. So I was forced to kind of go through some pictures for my PowerPoint presentation. People always like to see stuff blowing up. And so I found some blowing up pictures. And, I, you know, I really haven't dealt with C4 as a pastor. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it's a trade that I'm like getting further and further away from. But I was kind of, my mind was, uh, remem I remembered working with C4. Now, C4 comes in little blocks, and it's, it's like waxy, almost like surf wax. And when you, you can bend it, it doesn't, it's not brittle. It's real, like, sticky. And so when you start messing with it, you can, t you can work with C4, and it's total, totally stable, meaning that if I... If I bump it or something, it's not just going to explode on me. If I had a, a block of C4, I would feel totally comfortable throwing it back to Bob and him to catch it. And we'd all be safe. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, I would, I, would, I would never, ever, ever do it. I know that it's stable. But the amount of energy found within that little block, you just don't mess with it. I know it's totally stable. I feel totally safe. I, I'm confident I could throw it. It's not going to detonate. 
but I would never do it out of a healthy fear for what it's capable of. Some have described the fear of God like standing at the base of Niagara Falls. And you're not a fear, like afraid, like it's going to destroy you, but it's like awesome power. And if you want to go a couple books to the right, what do we learn about the fear of God? Well, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, this is David's son, Solomon, the wisest man in the world, writing Proverbs to give his sons wisdom. And so right out of the shoot in verse 7, he says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. He said, if you want knowledge, if you want information in your head, the starting point is to to have a healthy dose of fear for God. Then if you go over to chapter 9, and in chapter 9, verse 10, we're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so knowledge is information. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. And so we're told if we fear God, then we'll have information. And as we have fear of God and we have this knowledge, we'll have wisdom on how to live our lives. If we continue over to the last section of fear in Proverbs, chapter 15, verse 33, we're told that the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And so as we fear God, we have knowledge, we have wisdom. Fear of God is actually the instrument, the instruction for how we navigate life. Going back to Psalm 103, verse 11, it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. Fearing God is the starting point for everything. It keeps our lives tethered to reality. That we are not the creator. The creator is the one who created us. He's capable of creating the earth, the stars that we know through technology today and telescopes make the earth not even recognizable in size. And so, no, this isn't just a blob of accidental stuff that we came to existence, that God created us, God can take our lives, God can bless us. We should have a healthy fear for him. As far as the east is from the west, and this isn't, see, when I, when I was a young, smart aleck, I'm trying to incorporate the word tomfoolery back into my vocabulary more often. It's like, I just like that word. When I was filled with tomfoolery, I, um, you know, I'd say, oh, as far as the east is from the west, well, if you follow the east is from the west, you'll come back around on the other side. But we're not talking about the earth. We're just talking in a straight plane. They never, ever, ever, ever intersect. And he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions or sins from us. Total forgiveness of sin. Satan will tell us, oh, Gunnar, do you remember when you did that? It's like, oh, yeah, that was really bad. He's like, God's not going to use you. And I have to remind myself, no, Jesus paid it all. It's covered. He paid for it. It's not my righteousness. It's not my good deeds that have made me right with God. It's that Jesus was perfect and God credited my account with his righteousness. He continues, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. This fear, fear, fear. Having a healthy fear of God is a good thing. 
For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. And here's David, I think, reflecting on Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. After they ate the fruit, and God says, you know what? You've sinned. Sin has entered the world. There's consequence. And the man's punishment was that when we cut roses now, there's thorns. How great would it be if roses didn't have thorns anymore? You know, we just go, poop, and we don't have to cut ourselves. And after he says that when you toil the land, the land's going to fight against you as you toil it. To dust you came from, to dust you'll return. And it's amazing that they've done, like, our composition of our bodies, if you melt us down to the bare, we're essentially dust. Like, they've confirmed that men are dirt. Like, that's, you know, pun intended. It's okay to laugh. (laughs) We're nothing but dirt. And God has given, breathed life into us. And he says, God's mindful of this. He knows, like, as mighty and as strong as we think we are, God knows that we're just little dirt bags. You know, you're just, like, I'm God. And then this, like, I think he could start thinking about, like, man's being just dirt, dust. He says, verse 15, as for man, his days are like grass. As the flower of the field, so he flourishes. We've had a little rain. Everything's getting green around here. Uh, my wife, I love to death, back back there. She, when it gets green like this, she goes, oh, it's so beautiful. And after three years in Valley Centers, it used to be beautiful. It's not beautiful anymore. All I see is Anna, that weed whacker's just call, like, and she's like, but it's so pretty. I'm like, it takes two days to weed whack. It's not like, I just wish it was brown. Brown is pretty. Why can't dirt be pretty? But it, we've had like just a couple days of rain and you see the grass coming up already. And by summertime, when we, when we have those 150 degree days, it's going to just. And he says, our days are like that. I had a really, that Quanta slideshow. I had one of these like epiphanies about my life that was really quite sad. I, um, I'm clicking through the slides, and I'm looking. There's a picture of me. It's like the side profile picture where I'm shaking the CEO's hand, and I'm receiving my certificate. You know, we all, those, those certificates. It was the day I graduated from SEAL training. And as I was looking at the picture, talking to the group, I had one of these aha moments, and I shared it, and they all laughed at me. And I said, not very many of us have, you know, we all realize that we'll have, like, a peak day in our life, and from that point, we'll, like, start going downhill. I have mine on camera. I have a picture of my peak day. And I said, from that day on, it's been all downhill. I will never, ever, ever be in that sort of shape again. I'm like, my pant size keeps getting wider. My hair gets, like, that is it. That was my peak. I've been fading away ever since that moment. And I, like, I'm lucky, I guess, to have that day. And Anna says, well, I still have hope because I never went through SEAL training. So I can think that I could still get back into, like, better shape than my peak. But I can't. (laughs) And he says it flourishes. He talks, verse 16, when the wind, the hot summer wind, you know, passes over, it's no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. See, this is, I know there's people here who who we have, um, we can follow our genealogy. I know Ruth loves, like, genealogy. She can follow her, like, family lineage back. And during Ecclesiastes, I said, man, by the time you have great-grandkids, they'll forget how you are. She's like, Connor, don't say that. I know who my great-great-great-great-grand, you know, parents. And I'm like, not me. Like, in mine, I, I, I know who my grandfather was. I know the name of my great-grandfather, but I don't know anything. Beyond that, it's just like, 
the Hanson, I'm the legacy for who knows who, you know? I, and I, like a few generations after, that, I'll probably be forgotten. And he's saying, it's place where they don't remember it anymore. Verse 17, so the finite picture of God or man contrasted with the infinite God. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Our lives are short, but if we fear God, if you've trusted in Christ, then everlasting eternity of God pouring his loving kindness upon you. He says, and his righteousness to children's children and to, and to, those, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. This is why the Bible is so important for us to teach, for us to study, that we get the precepts of God into our hearts and into our minds, that we would honor God because we know what he wants from us. And this idea of blessing, of righteousness to the children's children, that we have an obligation to teach our kids the word of God. And I love it. You know, the kids, we're expanding to 7 to 12, and then we'll probably, that's our cap. Then, you know, by then kids can, you know, you're grown up enough at 13. Um, but it's like every other week, and they're going to be just taught the scriptures that like to correspond with what we're doing every other week. And I love it. Last night I hear one of the teachers, as they're trying to divvy up, like, okay, who's going to go where? And one of the teachers says, I'm kind of afraid to teach the 7 to 12-year-olds. And I think, I'm afraid to teach the 7 to 12-year-olds. But then the reason is they know the Bible so well. And I feel like that they know more scripture than me. And it's like, yeah, you've created a beast, haven't you? Well, it's not just the here. It's at home that our kids know the word. And it's wonderful. And the idea is if we get the word into our kids' heart, which we value here, then when they're adults, it'll be there for God to use in their life. And as David meditates with it, he, he kind of ends. He, um, as he's just thinking about God, all he's done, his crescendo in verse 19 is, the Lord has established his thrones in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. It has nothing to do with what God has done for us. It has all to do. God is the the end. He is not the means to an end, meaning that Jesus becomes like this rabbit's foot. Like, well, I'll pray to you, God, and if you do this, then I get this. Then that's he's, we use God as a means to something else. He is the end. His throne is in heaven. His sovereignty, I love this because it helps define the word a lot. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, if you don't know what that is, what you can do is highlight the middle four verses of the word reign. To reign and to rule. Sovereignty means control. And the phrase that follows sovereignty describes it. He rules over all. He is the creator and sustainer of all. He is God. That alone is worthy of our worship and praise. And as David thinks of this, he's going to say, you know, at all creation, from the angels to all the earth, to me. He's going to go from the very greatest of God's creation, honing it in to very to his heart. He says, "Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord all you his hosts, you who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord 
all you works of his in all places of his dominion. He's saying, everything, everywhere, praise God. And then he ends, bless the Lord, O my soul. He says it wants to, he wants to be the starting point. Like, bless my Lord. David, you and your soul, you praise God for he is good. And the conclusion of all of this, like the applications found in the first five verses. When David says in verse 2, forget none of these benefits. He says, who pardons all your iniquities? Have your sins been forgiven? Are you a Christian? Have you trusted in Christ? Have you believed? When you believe, we're forgiven. We're told in Ephesians 1, 3, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Once that reality hit me, I have a hard time praying this prayer. Lord, will you bless me with, for now, whenever I catch myself saying that, what I hear is, thank you, Lord, you've blessed me with every spiritual blessing. Have you received forgiveness? Who heals your diseases. He's healed us of diseases. He ultimately is going to free us from this body of stain and hurt and anguish. He redeems our lives from the pit. All of us, I guarantee, you know, David, Jeremiah, I heard him say that you're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or going into a storm. Or a pit. And that he'll redeem us from the pit. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Who satisfies your years with good things. That's... That's the the application of this, that we would recognize God for being God, remember all that he's done for us. He's done more than you can even fathom, and that we would bless and praise his name. The worship team's going to come up, um, and they're going to end with a song, Hosanna, which is a good song. But last night about 9 o'clock, I'm like, you know what? The doxology, that's what the doxology is all about this psalm. I'm not going to sing it. Anna said Chuck Smith would sing it, and I'm not, I've done it before, but I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll save you guys. <clears throat> but the words of the doxology, listen to these words. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. All blessings that we have are from God. Praise him, all creatures here below. Every creature on earth, praise God. Praise him above Ye heavenly hosts, all of the angels, praise him. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So please stand. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to end in song. And my prayer is that this, that our time of singing would be praise and worship from our hearts. Don't care about the person next to you. Just let God hear your voice. So, Father, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, that you have, Lord, you've pardoned our sin. Lord, we'll never understand what Jesus went through on the cross. Lord, we'll never know what it cost. But Lord, we thank you that it was free, that all we had to do was believe in Jesus for salvation, for forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we thank you that you've blessed us with your loving kindness, your compassion, Lord, that you're living and active in our life. Father, we pray that you would help our hearts to bless your name all the days of our life, Lord. We love you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures. Here.